Hi, I'm Tyler Harris, and you're listening to the latest episode of Down in the Weeds. Uh, today we're going to be talking with Josh Diven. He's Pheasants Forever Precision Ag and Conservation Specialist located in Iowa, and we're going to be discussing how cropping systems and conservation practices can be used in tandem with one another. Josh, to get started, I wanted to ask about this program, the Precision Conservation Initiative. How did it get started? Um, and as I understand, it started in, in Iowa before spreading all across the U.S. And and I also wanted to ask, kind of follow up on that, what does what the program entail in terms of working with landowners? Sure. Well, thanks for having me here, Tyler. Yeah, Pheasants Forever's Precision Initiative yeah, did originate in Iowa maybe five, six years ago. And uh, the catalyst for that would have been a company called Ag Solver, which is based out of Ames, Iowa. And we had heard about them and a product that they had developed uh, at the time you know, called Profit Zone Manager. Um, and it, it really delivered something that we had been looking for, interested in, uh, I would say, for, for many years, probably since the origin of, the, the origin of our Farm Bill Biologist Program. Uh, which is a you know a program and in partnership with USDA NRCS, where we have uh, staff that are located in those local service centers, working with landowners um, and farmers, and, and helping provide technical assistance. Well, what again? What what Egg Solver had produced was a tool, a precision tool that uh, you know, would take in farmers' precision. Uh, yield data, and then actually coupled it with with their actual budget, their their cost of production budget, um, as well as and then their marketing price. And when you when you combine all of those things, uh, you actually are able to produce a, a profitability map, which is just a whole different way of, of looking at a you know really the performance of a crop field, um, and you get to see the variability that all fields have within a field. And then, you, of course, you can use that to, you know, better manage manage that field. And then, in, in addition to that function of that tool, it also allowed some uh, kind of looking back in the rear view hypothetical scenario creation. So we could say, well, you know, that part of the field struggled, has struggled historically, and we could actually go in and investigate some different conservation alternatives and, and then hit go on that scenario and they would actually show us the impact of kind of a what if you know what if that part of the field uh, say would have been enrolled in a program and instead of being you know farmed unsuccessfully and we get to see how that would impact things like profitability uh, return on investment and things of that nature so that uh, that kind of kicked off i would say pheasants forever's uh, precision work because we finally had the tool uh, to be able to uh, provide better, you know, more specialized technical assistance to uh, farmers that we were working with, so we could help them kind of develop laser laser focused solutions for their for their farms. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's fascinating to me is that it got its start in Iowa, and you know, I, Iowa has you know, contrary to what some folks might say, driving across the interstate. Uh, that, that we have a pretty varied topography in Iowa in terms of we have the prairie pothole region, we have, you know, we have the driftless region, we have the Lus Hills, we have the glacial till region where I'm from down in southwest Iowa, where there is kind of that variability, uh, not, not just from field to field, but within the fields themselves. 
And that's where, obviously, this program really shines is when we have some of those extreme variabilities. And, and the thing is that often in, we have this mindset in agriculture that, you know, and I've seen this everywhere. You know, this, this, might, this could be in Iowa. You know, I, I worked for five to six years in Nebraska. That's definitely the case there. It's everywhere. We have this mindset in agriculture that a field should either be 100% row cropped or 100% hay ground or 100% wetland or CRP. Um, but what you're seeing here is in that in some cases, it makes more sense to integrate conservation practices within row crop fields. Uh, how might some of these conservation practices fit into a row crop scenario? And why might it make sense, I guess, to put some of those areas of a field within to, into a wetland or conservation, whatever it might be? Yeah, so I mean, you, you put your finger right on it there. And that's there is uh, a lot more variability out there than I think a lot of people would, would come to expect, and that's, like you said, both across the uh, our state, and that also applies to, you know, different different landscapes in, in other states as well, but and what, what those landscapes usually produce then is different types of variability with even within a field, so, um, and there's been research to support this, and, and uh, between 3 and 15 percent of, of every field every year um, is is farmed at a loss, you know, so it's, it's very common, um, to see a little bit of that within a field. It's, it's, you know, it's not the largest part of the field, but, um, using this precision, pulling precision data into the, into the equation, uh, having a profitability analysis done, um, that really kind of, uh, you know, paints the map there for where your opportunities are for some investigating some conservation options. So it's, yeah, going through that exercise, um, and then, you know, identifying identifying those spots uh, within a field, and then you know we can start to uh, take a look at all these different programs and practices that are available. And that's certainly one thing that um, I've come to find out is that just a lot of folks, the customers that I worked with, aren't aware of how many different uh, practices and programs are you know really available to them. Um, and then again, investigating some what some of those are and. And then uh, taking a look at how that impacts, uh, you know, how that field performs. And yeah, we've definitely found that in in those instances where we can kind of overlay like um, a, a custom conservation package over a part of the field that's like, unprofitable or problematic. Um, yeah, we're we've got we're benefiting both um, the farm, the part of the farm that's staying in crop production, and you know we've identified maybe the best, most profitable use of that part of the field that was previously, you know, under underperforming. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so I wanted to kind of hit on that, some of those problem spots here for a little bit. Because we were talking about perennial problem spots. And, and you know, I, I think one of the things that you had brought up um, when we talked previously was, you know, it, it's easy to look at things very optimistically in agriculture, even if, you might have part of a field that you know only produces a you know uh, a return on investment three out of ten years, and the other seven years, you know you're looking at a loss because you're just not getting the yields that you, that you would like that that really kind of drag that that the overall field average down for overall yield. Um, what are some examples of those perennial problem spots that you've seen, and how how and you've talked about how you kind of identify those with some of those tools, but how do they kind of show up on the map if we look at those trends on a year year to year basis? And you know how I, I guess how do you how do you address that? 
Sure. Uh, yeah. So, um, like you said, there's there's uh, different problems in different parts of the state, and uh, yeah. So, just maybe a couple uh, of those common ones that we see. Um, you might have you know an area, a lower area along a, a you know creek, stream, river. Um, or if you're in pre-pothole country, um, again, a lower area that it just experiences, whether it be ponding or, or flooding and has crop damage as a result of excessive moisture. So that's one of the red, you know, these red areas within a field that we pretty commonly see. Um, you can see um, other spots where maybe it's on a, a higher, up on a little hill in a field where, you know, some of that topsoil is, is, is no longer there or it's underlaid with, you know, sand, gravel, it's just lighter. Uh, you know, those spots really popped last year, um, you know, with how dry, dry it was. So you get spots like that that are just, you know, drought. Um, they are going to run into issues with less moisture. You get issues um, in looking at some of these fields that um, are cropped right up to maybe a timber edge. Um, so maybe on the north side of a grove um, or a grove of trees, uh, you can see that, you know, those crops, you know, at least some distance out are, are suffering probably from a loss of, of sunlight and moisture to a certain extent. Um, you can see areas in a field that, you know, maybe it's an irregular shaped field where uh, there's maybe not some of the, uh, the tech there with auto shutoffs that you're just, you, you're stacking up inputs and seed. And, and as a result, you know, that's pulling down the, efficiency and performance of, of that field um well i mean there's just there's just lots of little examples like that in the field and it's it's pretty impressive um, how significantly those little areas can drag down get the performance of the whole field but there was another thing you said there tyler that's important and that's you know we're looking uh, for habitual offenders kind of like what i like to think of it as so every year is variable and you know you can always have a part of a field that might do well one year and and not so well the next, but what's really cool about pulling in the data and then looking at as many years of data that we can possibly get is that the more data we have, the clearer of a picture we have of what what that field um, has done over time. So it you know it, it, that helps us kind of avoid looking at some of these areas that uh, yeah maybe they had a bad year one year, but that's that's not the norm. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know, I, I think it's always very telling when you look at a yield map from from one year to another because there are always going to be some of those little tiny red spots that pop up. But like you said, having those habitual offenders is is very, that's kind of what you're looking for, and it, it, it's it's you know every every location is going to be a little bit different. But like you talked about some of the you know the, the uplands here this last year where we had some sandier soils and some drought. That's, you know, more often than not, that's not going to be the case in Iowa. You know, we're, we're typically not wanting for rain. So I, I think one of the things that we usually probably see more of is some of those wetter lowlands or, you know, um, river bottom acres that are going to be probably a little bit more habitual offenders. Is that is that kind of the usually the case then? Or Yeah, I, I'd say you're, you're spot on there. I mean, excessive moisture is... is more likely to be the culprit here in Iowa. And yeah, so you see areas in low-lying areas along the river or pre-pottle country um, where you get, you know, there's a wetland there and it ponds water, damages a crop. And, you know, the neat thing, I guess, um, not that, you know, damaged crops is neat, but uh, it is good that um, we do have a lot of programs and practices that are designed around water quality. Um, so we have a pretty... Um, pretty big 
toolbox, I guess, there. And as you think about ways to fix those areas, and, and a lot of those those programs and practices come with a little bit higher incentives. Um, and obviously, there's uh, in Iowa, there's a you know, water quality issue, and uh, so that again, that opens up a, a little bit wider array of, of tools to help us deal with some of those areas. Whether that's a wetland restoration practice up in the Prairie Pothole Country, um, or a floodplain wetland restoration project um, along a river, um, or even something as simple as you know, kind of filter strips along a little creek. So there's there's a lot of different fixes out there, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah, well, let, let's talk a little bit more about that, Josh, because that's something I know when we talk about alternative practices. Uh, here, just within the last 10 years or so, we, we've seen a pretty big growth and the availability of some different options, I think. Um, and there are some, you know, there are um, programs that are more more specific to Iowa. There are programs that are, you know, fairly universal across the Midwest. And then there, you know, there are obviously those programs that are non-programmatic that growers can just put in themselves. So, what are some of those different options that we're looking at? You know, if we're talking about Iowa or all across the Midwest. Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, that's exactly right. So there are, uh, you know, a lot of people are familiar with a lot of the farm bill conservation programs. Those would be programs that are administered out of uh, the USDA uh, local service centers. So that would include programs like um, the Conservation Reserve Program (CRP). That would include EQIP, which would be the Environmental Quality Incentives Program. Uh, that'd be uh, CSP. I mean, there's just there's a lot of different. So what about some non-programmatic options? Because I, I know that's something that you had brought up, and I wanted to ask about that. Because I, And there, there, there are going to be some landowners, some growers out there that may just be more comfortable doing things on their own terms, essentially. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, uh, some of the folks that I've worked with, you know, as I've been looking at some of their data, uh, and I'm moving through it, and I can, I'll see some of these areas on the farm that, um, you know, there's no there's no yield data and when I've asked about that I, I can't see that there's you know any program there but when I've asked like well yeah we, we took a look at that and you know that that spot wasn't working out so you know we just we squared it off and seeded it down so I mean uh, it's it's fun to see and work with folks like that that you know they are their own solution so they just uh, in that case maybe need some help taking a look at the data have an analysis done and Different options out there. 
Yeah, great. Well, I, I wanted to ask a little bit about some of the dollars and cents. Um, when, when we're talking about setting up some of these hypothetical, or I guess projecting what 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 could possibly be the return on investment in certain situations, how do you kind of go about doing that? Collecting the you know the break even data for a given field. Um, what kinds of information do you usually need to to calculate that break even? And and how do you kind of work with growers uh, in obtaining and in, in, in using that data? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, when we're taking a look at, at doing the, one of these uh, profitability analysis and, and looking at previous data, we're always looking in the rear view mirror. So it's it's kind of what what did happen because we're looking at actual yield data. So then the step, the next step there is to you know work with the grower to determine what what cost what cost did they have in producing that crop in in that year. Um, so going back and you know, building out that budget. Um, I think for almost all my custer, customers, I'm starting with, I'm fortunate to have access to the iState extension. Um, uh, they do a budget projection um, every year for a bunch of different cropping systems here in Iowa. So that's a, a really great place to start. So we can, and it breaks down line item by line item on what those inputs are in a given year. And once we have that, then, you know, they some folks are, are comfortable just using that that kind of course estimate other guys will then you know take that and, and customize it to their own operation so updating things like for their fertilizer program their their seed cost chemical cost uh their their land rent because uh, the more things that you you dial in you know the the, the tighter and more accurate the, the profitability analysis is going to be um so that's kind of going through that exercise and you know usually when i'm working with a new customer you know, we're, we've got multiple years of data, so uh, we got to go back, you know, back in time a little bit there. And, and that's those those budget sheets go back many, many years farther than most folks have have data. Um, so once I've got the budget and we kind of just go back and then look at, you know, their previous yield um, and they have to make it kind of a stab at what their marketing price might have been, which then produces that break even yield. And then we can start to look at those fields, you know, a little bit differently. We can we can uh, focus in on those red acres, those those problematic parts of the field, and then start talking about start talking about solutions. Great. Well, well, the last question I have is, you know, when we're talking, and, and maybe you have some specific examples, but when we're talking about returns on investment, what 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 are some of the I, I guess what what are some of the ROIs that growers might realize by uh, putting in some of these alternative practices? And, you know, and also, I guess, just kind of following up on that, what are some of the overall average yield improvements for the field that we, that we might see? Sure. You know, that's, that's kind of a, a squirrely one to take down just because every, every, every farm and, and budget yeah. is, is a little bit different. But I'd say more often than not, I'm, you know, if I had to put my finger on, a, on maybe an average uh, ROI kind of improvement, I'm probably... You know, for the customers I'm working with, between five and ten percent. You know, uh, somebody I just worked with here recently, actually that that ROI change uh, was was twenty percent in you know in that one given year compared to the the change they adopted. So, yeah, somewhere somewhere in that kind of a range, five to ten percent. Um, and then you know, I'd say one kind of interesting thing though is that I'm finding not that many of my customers are are using the term, you know, return on investment, they're maybe more interested in uh, just kind of realized, 
profits on a field and how that compares to the input cost. Because in some cases, you know, we're actually, uh, you know, we're not maybe changing the, the overall profit um, at the end of the day, but we're maybe reducing inputs because we're we're not wasting inputs on parts of the field that aren't giving a return. That makes sense. So yeah, um, okay, and that's that's interesting to a lot of folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point because you're not you, you can that way you're focusing less of your resources on on the non-productive parts of the field, so you'd be saving quite a bit that way. So that makes yeah. perfect sense. Um, and then the other one of the other benefits too that we're seeing is like and you touched on was the you know the, the performance of the rest of the field and and uh, yeah, it's I've seen examples where we're we're pulling up the you know the, the production by five, ten, fifteen uh, bushels within a year and of course that that starts to have a neat uh, implication for um, actual production history uh, for insurance purposes looking ahead so um, that's that's kind of another neat aspect of using precision to farm your very best acres and and investigate uh, you know different a different alternative on those those worst parts of, of the farm Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Josh. Uh, listeners can learn more in an article in our March print issue of Wallace's Farmer, as well as online at wallacesfarmer.com. Also, be sure to follow us on our new Wallace's Farmer Facebook page. And thanks for listening to the latest episode of Down in the Weeds.